We're going to continue our series. We called it Trapped in identifying the deception of our enemy because over the last couple weeks, we've identified that this is how the enemy operates. He operates in deception. Uh, deception is to get you to think something is true when it is not true. So that is the deception. That's how he works. He wants to draw that wedge in between you and God. That's his whole intent. So um, last couple of weeks, like I said, we've been talking about this, how our enemy is a master of deception and how he operates within deception in order to get you to believe a lie. So once he gets you to believe that lie, he can begin to reel you into his trap. Our, our enemy's intention, uh, it's very clear. It is very clear. It's very easy to see, as well as he, he, what he wants to do and what he will do in your life if he can get you trapped. So he wants to create a gap between you and God. He wants to create confusion, okay, on you and your purpose with God. I think there's so much of that for Christians to where we don't necessarily understand what God wants us to do. Uh, what's my purpose? Pastor, can you tell me my purpose? I hear that all the time. Well, the thing about it, your purpose is not hard to identify. It's not. The enemy wants to create that confusion to make you think that it is hard or difficult for you to identify what your purpose is. And it's the same way with God speaking to you. Well, does God speak to me? Does God speak to me? Yes, he does. He speaks to his people all the time. He's not distant father, but the enemy tries to come in and deceive us to think that, you know what, God doesn't speak to me. He only speaks to this person, only speaks to that person, but God does speak to you. The enemy wants to deceive. He wants to draw confusion to keep that distance between you and our Father. So that's why the, the Scripture calls him the great deceiver, the author of confusion. He's a murderer from the beginning, and his strategies are known. Why is it important to not fall for his trap? You have to understand this. Because when you know he's putting out a trap, the benefit that you have as your advantage is that the Scripture clearly tells you who he is, so you know him. The Scripture clearly tells you what kind of traps that he has, so you know that as well. But the benefit of it is the Scripture also tells you that you have authority over him as well. Did you hear what I said? So you have authority over the individual who is trying to trap you, who is trying to take you down. So those are our advantages that we have. We know who he is, we understand his strategy, but we have the victory over him. So therefore, we don't have to fall for his traps. We don't have to fall for his deception. It's just that we have to know how he operates and how he attacks because a deceiver is going to make you think that something is true when it is not. So he's very sly, he's very cunning, he works in subtleties, and that, that's how he operates. So the only way for us to gain that advantage over him, or the only way he can gain an advantage over us, is when he steals the truth from us. Mark chapter 4, verse 14, what Josh stole from me a minute ago. Mark chapter 4, verse 14, the, the parable of the sower. Okay, we're going to talk about the sower that sows the word. You can just reference this for now, um, because I want to go over this just quickly. But in verse 14 of Mark, the sower sows the word. It says, some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. Okay, listen to me. Do you understand how this happens? Do you understand how this works? You hear a good word at church, and what happens 
immediately. You understand me, okay? You hear a good word, and man, that was phenomenal. That service was awesome. And man, that pastor can preach, and on and on and on and on and on. Man, that just spoke to my heart. You have to know that something is going to happen to try and take that word away from you. When will that happen? Immediately. Immediately, the enemy is going to try and come and steal that word away from you. Take it away from you. Why? Because he knows if that word is sown on good ground, it is going to bear fruit. It is going to change you. It is going to, to, to maneuver you in a position and elevate you and put you on a level to where you can continue to follow God's purpose for your life. And you have to understand, it will come immediately. The enemy comes to try and take that word away from you to get your eyes off of the only thing that provides victory for you. And then in verse 16, it goes on to say this, and others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But verse 17 goes on to say, they have no root, they are short-lived, and when distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. They immediately fall away. They hear the word, and that is awesome, and I receive that. I receive that. And then when persecution comes because of what you believe and who you believe, you immediately fall away. That's another sower he's talking about. And then verse 18, it goes on to say, Others are like the seed sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Deceitfulness comes to choke away the truth, to take away what you have that is going to provide victory for you in your life. The enemy is coming to choke away that word. If he can choke that word away from you, it is never going to bear fruit. It is never going to bear fruit. And when does this happen? Immediately. Immediately. Or immediately. It is going to come immediately. I will guarantee you this, folks. I can't tell you how many times I've heard a great word in church and I walk out, get into my car, and Stacy and I get into an argument about something or whatever, and I completely forget everything that I've learned in church. <laughs> completely forget it. Immediately something happens. Immediately something happens. You have to be aware of these things. It comes immediately, the trap is set, and the bait is getting put down for you to fall into the trap. In order for you to fall into the trap, our enemy baits the trap with things you have a tough time refusing. He uses, folks, listen, he uses your weaknesses against you. It's not a bad thing. Everyone has their weaknesses. Even Jesus had his weaknesses at times. There was times he was weary. There was times that he struggled. Struggle taking the cross, right? It didn't make him any lesser of a person by any means, but he had it. He deal, dealt with things like we do. He was a man, an individual who walked this earth just like we are. So the enemy tries to take your weaknesses or play off of your weaknesses in order for you to get, get you to fall into a trap. Weaknesses are not a bad thing, so don't beat yourself up if you have weaknesses. It is just an opportunity for you to grow in a specific area, but you have to know where you are weak because that is where the enemy is going to try and attack you. So he plays on your weaknesses, and he uses them as bait to reel you in. Our advantage is that the same bait, listen, the same bait the enemy used against Jesus, against Eve, 
right, against Judas, against multiple people that he trapped in the Bible, the same bait that he used then is the same bait he's going to use now. He has not changed one bit. Same strategy, same tactics, same bait. The enemy, like I said, plays off our weaknesses just like he played off the weaknesses of Jesus. We have different weaknesses that we may be dealing with, but the enemy uses the same bait. Every sin, every stronghold, every bit of bondage you are dealing with, you name it, we talked about this last week, all begins with this. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. I brushed by this last week. I want you to see it again because, like I said, this is the whole basis for this message right here. It's the whole foundation for us to understand how our enemy operates. These are the baits that he uses. Verse John chapter 2, verse 15, it goes on to say, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So remember, the enemy's strategy is to get you away from God and pull you back into the world. So it makes sense, folks, listen, it makes sense when we see this in verse 16. For everything... Last time I checked, everything means everything, okay? So for everything that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, or the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So everything, listen folks, everything in the world, you are not to love, okay? But Satan's strategy is to get you to love the world, Because if you do, you're not operating with the love of the Father within you. So remember this, that God wants us to love him with everything that we are and everything that we have. He does not want to share you with anything else. God is a jealous God in a good way. He does not want to share you with anyone else. So he wants everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you will be, he wants to be committed to him, 100%. So he does not want you operating in the world, so do not love the world, because if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. You're not operating and you're not functioning with the love of the Father, you're operating and functioning with the love of the world. And so your desires are going to gravitate towards that. So he doesn't want you to share you. He wants everything you have. And to be honest with you, why in the world should he have to share you? Why in the world should God have to share you? Why should he have to split time with things that oppose him? Is it really worth it, folks? Do you like the idea of sharing your time with the creator of the universe because of something that is temporal or passing away? Sounds like a great time, doesn't it? I mean... Do you like the idea? I mean, you hear you have the creator of the universe wanting a relationship with you, but you're so intent on living in the ways of the world, what does it do? It's continually drawing a wedge. And so, you know what? Yeah, God, I can give you 50% of myself, but you know what? The other 50%, I just want to hang out in the world. It doesn't make sense. Why not give everything that you have to our Father, fellowship with the creator of the universe, and give everything over to him? Love him, operate with his love on the inside of you. Forget the things of the world, dismiss the things of the world, and don't even gravitate towards them. So that's why he says that everything in the world, I don't want to share any of it. I don't want to share any bit with you with anything that is going to pass away whatsoever. And everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these three things right here are going to be used against you 
to exploit your weaknesses and get you to fall for the trap of the enemy and ultimately have you walking in the ways of the world and believing that what is wrong in the eyes of God is right to live. So today we're going to take our first look at these three areas here, and we're going to start with the lust of the flesh. This right here, folks, it's the big one, okay? Everyone focuses on this one because it is usually the bait that is outward, the bait that people can see, and so it can be easily detected. So a lot of times we focus on this one, right? So I want to make this clear to make sure we all have an understanding of it. When you hear the Bible talking about the lusts of the flesh, it can be a little confusing, okay? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, the lust of the flesh. If you're not a believer, if you don't understand Jesus or understand Bible or Christianese or whatever, sometimes it could be hard to understand that. I could remember when I first gave my life to the Lord, I uh, had no clue about anything in the Bible. And well, the individual I lived with was, uh, was a little legalistic. And so, uh, you know, Pretty much everything I did was wrong, but anyway, so he was a little, had a tendency to be legalistic, and there were times when I would lose my temper, get so frustrated, and, you know, i start yelling, and we'd start arguing about something, and he would always say, quit getting in the flesh, quit getting in the flesh, and so I said, okay, whatever you say, whatever that means, you know, I just never understood what it meant, but I'd hear him say it to me all the time, quit getting in the flesh, you know. Um, you know, I played football while I gave my life to the Lord. So we were out on this road trip. We were down in Utah or something like that. And in between, when we got there, in between a bed check and, you know, before we had to go to bed, we would always have a Madden, John Madden football tournament, you know. And so we would post up in someone's room and we just had this big tournament going. Put your name down on the list, you know, winter stays, you just jump in and play. So it was my turn to play. The guys that were playing before me, it was a closed game, and they're all arguing about the game. And so I'm playing the assistant coach at the time, and these guys are all arguing about the game, and you, you're looking at my plays, and you're cheating, and you know, on and on and on. They're just going, they're getting heated. And I turn around and say to them, y'all are getting in the flesh. Quit getting in the flesh. <laughs> and the assistant coach looked at me, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know, <laughs> but it just sounded good. I just, I just heard it all the time. But anyways, so what in the world is John and 1 John talking about? What is he talking about? What is the flesh, okay? When John speaks of the flesh, he is more specifically talking about our human nature, okay? He's talking about our human nature, the nature that desires, that our desires, or the things that we desire that are not based upon God, that are not following God, that are not going after God. So ideally, it was the, it's the life that we had before him. Okay, the scripture talks about when you give your life to the Lord, old things are passed away and all things become new. What old things are passed away? The, the, the human nature that we used to live before the Lord, the, the desires and the things that we used to do that were contrary to, to the Lord, those are those things that should pass away. And so when Paul is, or when John's talking here, when he's talking about the flesh, right, don't give in to your flesh, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that old human nature. So the lust of the flesh, the desires of man that are contrary to God, the physical desires that war against the spiritual desires, 
That mentality or that lifestyle that God has asked us to crucify and surrender to him to live a holy life before him. Those are those things that he is talking about right here when he's talking about the lust of the flesh. This is the flesh. And so the bait of the flesh, I'm going to let you in on something. Everyone has a battle with the flesh. Everybody does. Everyone does. You are not singled out from this. Everyone has a battle with the flesh. What constitutes a fleshly desire? What is it? How do you identify it? How do you recognize it? Turn over. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We're going to take a look at it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I'm going to read out of the uh, CSB. Okay, let's go here. It says this in verse 16. He said, I say, then walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Okay, very simple. Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit that leads us and guides us into truth, gravitate towards that. Gravitate towards that. Why wouldn't you want to gravitate towards that? If you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So absolutely, let's gravitate towards that. Verse 17, he shares the reason why. In verse 17, it says this. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. You understand something? When you give your life to the Lord and you follow after the Spirit, it is essentially you saying, I belong to the Spirit. If you forsake the ways of the Spirit and you decide to live by the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh, you are saying, I belong to the ways of the world. It is very simple. It is very simple. There's a middle line here. You can either go one side or the other. You cannot straddle the middle line here. And you have to understand, you're going to try and be pulled in each direction. You have the flesh saying, come this way. You have the spirit saying, no, come this way. It's like two parents fighting over custody with their children, you know, their child. No, you're going to come live with me. You're going to come live with me. No, you're going to come live with me. You're going to come live with me. You're going to have it better living over here. No, you're going to have it better living over here. Both of these are warring against one another. Spirit wants you to come over here. Flesh wants you to come over here. You make the decision. You make the decision based upon how you're going to live. It is a back and forth, back and forth. There is only going to be one winner. That one winner is going to be the one that you feed most. One leads to life. The other leads to eventual death. So the enemy is going to look for an opening of weakness and bait you into falling into the trap of succumbing to that temptation of the flesh. Verse 18, it says this, but, here comes a big but right here, okay? This is a big one. But, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The law, what is it talking about here? This was the standard of living before Jesus. This is the standard that exposed our sinful nature, but also condemned us of a sinful nature. Okay, so understand this. When you see 
you hear stories about Moses and the Ten Commandments, and he's preaching the, you know, sharing the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. That is the law. Okay, that is the law. And there are many other laws in the Old Testament. You know, I can't remember hundreds of laws in the Old Testament, but more specifically talking about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments did not save us. All the Ten Commandments did was condemn us of our sin, but really provide, uh, make us understand that we need a Savior, that we need a Savior. Jesus came and fulfilled that law, so now all of a sudden we're not under the law, so to speak, to where it's, uh, I got to do this, and I got to do that, I got to do this, and I got to do that in order to get right with God. Jesus came and fulfilled that law, so now instead of being under law, we're under grace, Okay, under grace means that we do not have to earn our salvation, that it is a free gift unto us. So that's what grace is talking about. So he is sitting there saying, when you are led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. You're now under grace. Follow the Spirit. And you're going to avoid the whole uh, confusion or the, the, the battle of, I have to do this to be right. I have to do that to be right. I have to do this to be right. No, just follow the Spirit and you are right. And you are right. You follow the Spirit, you're going to follow Him. So the law equals death, but the Spirit equals life. It's the flesh versus the Spirit. It is a battle, and it is a war that is going to be raged for eternity. We're not until the end of this age, not eternity. Edit that out of the podcast, okay. (laughs) Anyways, while we are here on earth, it is going to be a battle of back and forth. Verse 19, this is what I want to get to. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. It says this, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before. That those, listen to me, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice what he says here. He says, if you practice such things, okay? He didn't say, oh, I made a mistake, I messed up, or whatever. He's not sitting there saying, make one mistake, you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. For those who practice such things, okay? So you have to understand what sin does in our life. Sin draws the wedge. Sin draws the wedge, and you ultimately gravitate to where you get into the position where you reject the only source of your salvation in Jesus Christ. And it is very plain to see that's what's going to happen. Is it going to be immediate? No, but you're going to continue to gravitate further and further away from the Spirit, the Spirit that gives you life. So he's sitting there saying, those of you who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to get you a better understanding of these, and I want you to pay attention. The lust of the flesh here. I will guarantee you, that each one of us, each one of you, battles or has temptation or weaknesses in some of these areas, okay? I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation real quick because it gives a good, great understanding of this. It goes on in verse 19 and says, The behavior of the self-life is obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinion, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addiction, wild parties, and all the similar behaviors. 
Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom, of, kingdom realm of God? I want you to take a look at these things. I'm going to put them up on the board here. And all I want you to do is take a few moments, and I want you to identify your areas of weakness. Write down what you feel is a weakness of yours. Once you identify one or some of these, I want you to write it down. Take a second. I don't see a lot of you guys writing, okay? <laughs> this is for real. Take a second. Take a look at these things, okay? Sexual immorality. A lot of times we just focus on that one. Uncontrolled chasing after things. Pornography. A lot of times we just focus on that. Uh, the middle one. Myself. Temper tantrums, right? Angry corals. Only thinking of myself. Being envious of the blessings of others. Guilty. Wild parties, not guilty, but being in love with your own opinions. A lot of us are guilty. Okay, there are plenty of things up here, and all I want you to do is identify one or two or three or whatever that you deal with, that you're tempted by. And don't sit there and tell me that you don't, because you are battling the flesh. These are the descriptions of the lust of the flesh, the very things that the enemy is going to try and bait you with. They're up there. They're up there, so be for real with this. Write something down, put something in your phone, text yourself or whatever, because this is for real. We wanna get beyond this here, okay? So here are the things, you gotta understand this. Once you identify, this is where the enemy is going to try and bait you. Okay, do you understand that? We have a knowledge of his strategy, okay? And that's why I'm saying this is for real. Identify it. Because you know he's going to try and bait you with these things. And so with you, when you identify it, you can see it coming. You can see it coming. So take a look up there and you identify these things. So here's where he's going to try and bait you. And here's the deal. Like I said, not one of these is any greater or lesser than the other. Every last one of these is going to lead to the same place, folks. A lot of times we put levels on these things. Well, you're dealing with this, so you sit in this section, and then you're dealing with that, so sit in this section, and then you sit in that section over there, right? We classify these things as greater than the other. All the same. All the same right there. They're all the same. They're all going to lead to the same place. They're all going to lead to the same place. That's why we cannot give attention to these things. So you have to learn to identify where you are weak, because once you identify, you know where you need to be strengthened. Because this is where the enemy attacks. You must learn to despise these in order to run from them. So like I said, here are some of mine that I battle with. Being envious of the blessings of others. I'm just going to admit, I struggle with it. You know, I do. Sometimes I see like, Stacy and I have been believing for a house, and I've shared this before. We've been believing for a house, you know, and God, why is this taking so long? And blah, 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 you know, on and on. And I see a friend of mine, they can buy a new house. How can they afford that? They don't deserve that. We do more than them. We do more for God than them. I might not say it out loud, but I'm thinking it up here. Right? It's a struggle. I can't dismiss that. It's a weakness. So when I see a friend being blessed or someone I'm close to being blessed, what's going to happen? Where's the enemy going to attack? Being envious of others. So he'll put the thought in my head, right, that, you know what, uh, I'm going to not be happy for them. I'm not going to be joyful over the blessings that they have. You know what, I'm going to be envious of the blessings that they have. And all of a sudden that envy turns into gossip and blah, on and on and on and on and on. 
Instead of rejoicing for someone, I'm all the way down this rabbit trail of complaining and arguing and then getting frustrated with God and all that stuff, right? So that's one of mine. You know what? Being envious of the blessings of others. The other thing, temper tantrums. I'll admit it. I've always had a bad temper. I always have. I remember when I was a kid, it didn't take me anything to lose my temper. I mean, I get so mad at things. I remember one time, my, uh, remember the old Converse, uh, Converse shoes, high tops first came out. You know, Magic Johnson was my favorite player, and I had to get a pair of Magic Johnson high tops. And, you know, I'm like six, seven years old. Well, the only problem is, is there's a lot of laces to tie on these things, and I can't tie my shoes very well. So uh, my mom would tie the shoes, and they'd always come untied, so she would double knot the shoes. And so... There one time I'm trying to get my shoes untied, and I'm laying on my bed, and no one would help me get my shoes untied. Well, you know, wait, I'll come in there and help you in a minute. Well, I thought they didn't want to help me, so I'm trying to untie my shoe, and I took my heel because I was so mad, and I just banged it against the wall until I cracked a hole in the wall. I told my mom I did it with a toy, but, you know, but I was just so mad, and I was so angry because someone wouldn't help me with that, that I just... Bang, I just knocked a hole into the wall because I was frustrated. Well, you gotta, it has gotten better over the years. My temper has gotten better over the years, but there are definitely things that set me off that is an area of weakness. So where's the enemy going to try and tempt me or bait me in that area? Here not too long ago, I mean, I know a couple of us, us big fellas in here, it is tough to find clothes. It is tough to find stylish clothes. I wear a size 15 shoe. Forget about it, okay? It is tough. You gotta order everything online. Then, you know, big guy's shoes, or big guy's clothes, I don't know what it is, they try and make everything with elastic waistbands and, you know, stuff, and it's just tough, tough to find stylish clothes. And so I ordered these clothes from this, uh, this company online, and Stacy ordered some for me first, and I mean, these things took forever to get here. I mean, it took like two weeks, and it just, she ordered them the first part of December, and it got to us right before Christmas, and so, we get the box, and she said, just open it, because I know you want to see it. You can open it before Christmas. So I get the box, and I open it up. And I'm a 2X. I open it up, and it says 4X. So I said, oh, they must have made a mistake on one. So I looked at the other. 4X. 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 I said, you've got to be kidding me right now. So I said, Stacy, send it back. Send it back. Get a refund. So she goes and sends it back. I said, I'm going to go on and order this time, and I am going to make sure that it says 2X. And so I order some new clothes, and it takes them about 10 days to get there again. And I get them home, and I say, okay, cool, I got my clothes. Well, what does it say? 4X, 4X, 4X. And that set me off right there. I get on the phone, and I call them. Okay, it's an international company. I call them. Well, their hours, you know, are different from ours, and so they were closed. And so I do the next best thing. I fire off an email. And I fire off an email. Someone better take care of this right now. You have no idea. I said, I said in the email, I should get it out and read it. If you do not take care of this immediately, I'm going to go all over your social media, and I'm going to rate you as the worst company on and on and on and on and on. And so I called Stacy up. I said, you will not believe this. I ordered again, and they sent me four X's. And I am just like completely fired up. I'm off the rails. And I said, I'm sending this back, okay? They, they finally emailed me back. Sorry, Mr. Hemphill. 
here's the return receipt, go ahead and send it back. And I'm thinking to myself, it's gonna take forever for us to get a refund anyway. So I said, you know what, I'm packing my stuff up, I'm putting it back in there, and I'm done with this company forever, period. So as I'm packing my stuff up, I look, and I, on the, the tag, it says Forex Australian, 2X US. <laughs> oh, I said, oh, okay, whoa, pick up my email. You know what, you have to forgive me. <laughs> I, said, I am so terribly sorry, you know, I just, please forgive me, you know. I just immediately went off the rails on this company for something that wasn't their fault. Well, weakness. It's a weakness. Okay, ultimately, well, you're just saying it's order and close, but you understand, if I continue to play into that weakness, and if I don't fix that, that temper tantrum or that temper is not just going to be a temper over close. Right, it's going to come into my marriage. It's gonna interfere with my parenting, right? It's just going to continue to grow if I continue to feed that. So I have to recognize the weakness and I have to do something about it. These weaknesses, folks, are open doors for the enemy to attack. Ultimately, if I give in, these things will remain unchecked and it will have the right to walk into my life and trap me into a trap that ultimately leads to death. This is the flesh. This is the flesh. Goes on in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, right after this. This is the spirit, folks. He's comparing them. Here's the flesh. Here's the spirit. We looked at the lust of the flesh. Now let's take a look at the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is what? It is love. It is joy. It is peace. It is patience. It's kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. These are the things of the spirit. This is the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. And because of this, there is no law against such things. I'm going to read it in the Passion so you can see it a little bit easier. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, produced by the Holy Spirit within you, folks, listen to me, within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. So joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Unlimited qualities of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. You can tap into this at any time. This well will never run dry. These are limitless qualities of the Holy Spirit. There is unlimited supply of these things. There is no lid whatsoever. These qualities have unlimited lives. For us 80s kids, it's like playing a game of Contra with the cheat code, right? Unlimited lives. You can play forever and know that this is there, right? You can tap into this at any time. The flesh is here. The spirit is here. The fleshly desires are trying to take control. But if you tend to the things of God, what is going to come out of you is what you are feeding and watering, which is the fruit of the spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you feed that, that is what is going to come out of you. This is why, folks, it is important that we crucify the flesh. That we put the flesh under. We do not give any attention to those desires. We put the flesh under and allow the spirit to have full reign and live within our lives. And verse 24 goes on to say this. Now listen, listen, 
those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh which it's, with its passion and desires. In verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I'm going to read it in the Passion. Keep in mind that who belongs, that those who belong to Jesus Christ have already experienced crucifixion for everything connected with our self-life, the flesh, the old life, was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. <coughs> Folks, listen. If you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ, it says in Galatians. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives within me. You give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's where you surrender and say, God, it is not me, it is all you, I give my life to you. I am crucifying my desires in the flesh, the ways that I used to live, it's all you. Do what you will. So those of you who accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you put to death on the cross and were crucified with the Messiah. Verse 25, if the Spirit is the source of our life, we must also allow the Spirit to direct every aspect of our life. You must, folks, listen, allow the Spirit to direct every aspect of your life, which means once temptation comes to fulfill the lusts of the flesh, you have to kill it. You have to kill it. For many of us, listen, the lust of the flesh has been what we have been giving life to for so long. This is the reason why it is so much stronger in your life. I can't seem to quit this. I can't seem to quit that. It is so much tougher to do this. And I seem to gravitate to that because you've been feeding it. You feed it. Well, I'm struggling with pornography. I can't quit, keep quitting or can't quit to looking at it and all that stuff. And you know what? I'm doing well and I've stayed away from it for like a month, but I just gravitate towards that. Because you've probably been thinking about it. You haven't crucified it. You keep feeding it and feeding it and feeding it and feeding it. So it's getting stronger. It continues to get stronger. And so the enemy baits you based upon your weakness. And all of a sudden, you, you start gravitating towards that just based upon the natural habit that you've been feeding. It gets stronger. The lust of the flesh has been what we have been feeding and we've been neglecting the things of the Spirit. I went to, uh, he's not here today, but Jared here in the church, he's a, a physical therapist, and he said, hey, I think I can help you with your shoulders and you know, all that stuff, you know? And so I go into him, and he's doing all these movements and, you know, measuring this, that, and the other, and he said, I have some exercises for you to do. And I said, okay. And uh, he gives me, like, these little three-pound weights. And I'm like, these little weak exercises are not going to do anything for me. So he says, listen, you haven't used these muscles forever, so atrophy is set in. Okay, the muscles that you need to be using are weak. So your muscles have declined because of lack of exercise. But the muscles are still there, but in order to get them moving, I have been using the wrong ones. So the ones that are getting stronger, while the ones that need to be working are getting weaker. Okay, so I'm trying to lift up and it's tougher. Okay, it's tough and there's pain, and there's impingements, and all that stuff, so I'm trying to lift up. Well, what's happening is the muscles that I need to use to get that working are weak, and so what happens is, is my muscles that are strong overcompensate for that, and they try and take over, okay? So, but I still have struggle doing that, so he's sitting there saying, no, you need to strengthen those muscles that you've been neglecting, and so I say, okay, all right, 
said, here's a solution. So he <laughs> gives me these little weights, and he says, you got to do these exercises. And I mean, keep in mind, I played football in college and all that stuff, and not to brag on myself by any means, I mean, I lifted weights all the time. I mean, lifting weights, right? Bench press 365, I cleaned 315, and I squatted over 500 pounds, right? So I'm used to it. Now all of a sudden, Jared's got me with a three-pound weight. <laughs> Standing in front of my TV doing this. I'm like, how in the world is this working, right? So I'm sitting there just doing this, right? But then all of a sudden, I get up the next morning. I said, my gosh, my muscles are sore. What in the world? Three-pound weight. How is this happening? But all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can start lifting higher than I used to. Right? So all of a sudden, mobility's coming back. Why? Because I'm strengthening the muscles that I've neglected over time. Listen, folks, same thing on a spiritual level, okay? Same thing on a spiritual level. For many, the lust of the flesh is so strong, and the fruit of the Spirit, atrophy is set in. Listen, the Spirit is there, Okay? The Holy Spirit lives and resides on the inside of you. As a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit lives and resides on the inside of you. What that means is the fruit of the Spirit is there, okay? Love is on the inside of you. Joy is on the inside of you. Peace is on the inside of you. Patience is on the inside of you. Faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all those live on the inside of you. But what happens is if you neglect them, atrophy sets in. And so all of a sudden, when those muscles aren't working, and when those muscles need to be working because peace needs to come out and joy needs to come out and love needs to come out and patience needs to come out because those muscles haven't been working, the muscles that are strong compensate for that and they begin to take over. So all of a sudden when you need peace and the peace does, is not working, that muscle that operates peace is not working, what does it overcompensate? the muscle that is strong. And so therefore addiction might come out. Sexual immorality might come out because you begin to look for peace because the fruit of the spirit peace, that muscle's not working because you haven't strengthened that muscle. So you overcompensate. Instead of operating by the spirit, you gravitate towards what is strong, and that is the desire of the flesh, the thing that you have been feeding all of your life. That's why I tell you to identify something up there because, listen, folks, you have to put that thing down. You have to put that thing down. You have to, and you have to begin to strengthen the muscles of the spirit that live on the inside of you. Well, I lack peace. I need peace in my life. No, you don't. It's already in there. It is already in there. The fruit of the spirit lives on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. And I'm going to tell you right, right now, if you don't neglect Jesus in your life, the, fruit, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to stay. He is going to stay. That was the gift of God, gift of Jesus. He said, it's beneficial for me to go because if I do not go, then the Holy Spirit is not going to come. The reason why the Holy Spirit had to come was to indwell and live on the inside of us, to lead us and to guide us in all truth. He's there. He's not going away. All the stuff, all the fruit of the Spirit wants to come out, wants to overtake you. You got to feed it. You got to feed them. You got to let him eat. And if you continue to neglect him, you're going to continue to struggle with the lust of the flesh. That's the thing that the enemy wants to bait you with. That's the thing he wants to bait you with. We have to crucify the flesh.
You're going to look for things, folks, that the Spirit wants to offer, but He's weak. He's weak on the inside of you. The fruit of the Spirit is weak on the inside of you, so you compensate and you gravitate towards what's strong, the lust of the flesh. We're going to continue to talk about this, folks, because i got a lot to say about this. But listen, folks, listen to me. If you did not write something down, please do. Okay? Please do. Do not neglect this stuff. Be honest with yourself. Be real with yourself. And, and quit playing this game, okay? Quit playing this game like I got everything under control because you don't. God does, right? So surrender those things that you just haven't been willing to surrender to God. Just give it over to him and let's grow here. Let's begin to walk in with victory in our life because that is what we have. We do not have to walk in a life that is continually being led by the lust of the flesh. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week. We're going to get into the lust of the eyes, and then we're going to get into the pride of life, and then I think we're going to get into Easter, all right? But listen to me, folks. Buckle up, because like I said, we're going to, we're going to get victory over this once and for all, all right? You're going to leave this place after this series, and you're going to be free from some of these things.